What's up, Knowledgers? What's up, guys? This is Danny. This is Chris. And you guys are listening to... Serial Knowledge. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back to our show. We hope you guys have been enjoying our latest episodes. Yeah, we are on week four, guys. We've been a month of doing this stuff together. How have you liked it? This has been crazy. It's been fun. I hope y'all are having fun. We have got a crazy case for you today. Yes, we are going down to Florida today. Going down to Florida. We hope all of you guys got your guesses in because we told you it was a female from Florida and that's it. So we Um, hope you guys got your guesses in. We'll let you know who got it right and who didn't. mm -hmm. Well, let me start by saying this is one crazy chick. Um, I mean, that's an understatement. mm -hmm. I think you guys will agree with us once we're done with this podcast. Um, yes, I think you will all agree that this lady is very crazy. Uh, we are going to do the case today of Eileen Wernos, the first, and this is what the news has stated, that she was the first female serial killer, which I don't believe is true. I believe there's been other women in history that have committed murder. I mean, but, murder, but serial murder? That's a different thing. Well, actually, back in the 1800s, it was very popular. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. It wouldn't. It honestly wouldn't surprise me if there's been many serial killers that are undocumented from but history. I think she was the very first one to be caught. I think that, and also even just the term serial killer wasn't coined until semi recently. Right. I think what nineties. I think is when they started. Yeah, maybe a little earlier than that, but not, not too much. Yeah, not too much earlier than that. All right, guys. Well, let's get down to Miss Eileen Wernos. Yes, and this is going to be Kristen's case. What? She, yeah, let's go. She's going to be presenting the case today. Yeah. So it's my turn to sit back, listen, and be disgusted by humans. <laughs> so without further ado, Kristen, take it away. All right, guys. Miss Eileen Wernos was born Eileen Carol Pittman on February 29th, 1956 in Rochester, Michigan. Her mother, Diane Warnos, was only 14 years old when she married Eileen's father, Leo Dale Pittman, who happened to only be 16 years old at the time. They did get married on June 3rd, 1954. That is young to get married, 16? Mm-hmm. 14 and 16? That's I mean, crazy. My parents, my mom and my biological dad were pretty young, but not that young. I mean, I was 20 and my wife was 18, but still, that's 14 and 16 is young. Yeah. My mom was 18 when she got married and my dad was 20. Yeah. Yeah. Same as me and yeah. my first wife. Mm-hmm. Eileen had one older brother named Keith, who was born on March 15th, 1955. After less than two years of marriage and two months before Eileen was born, her mother filed for a divorce from her father. Eileen never met her father, Dale, as he was in prison at the time of her birth. At the time of her birth, Leo Dale Pittman was diagnosed with schizophrenia and was later convicted of sex crimes against children. Gross human. Mm. Super gross human. Don't blame it on the schizophrenia. You're a gross human. Yeah. No offense to anyone who deals with schizophrenia. No. If you do anything to a child, you're a gross human. You are indeed a gross human, and I will come after you. On January 30th, 1969, Leo Dale committed suicide by hanging himself in his prison cell. A well-deserved fate. Mm-hmm. However, back in January of 1960, when Eileen was almost four years old, her mother Diane took Eileen and her brother Keith to their grandparents' house, uh, her parents, Diane's parents, and abandoned them there. Wow, that's, uh, that's some maternal instincts mm-hmm. right there. 
So Eileen and Keith were adopted two months later on March 18, 1960 by the same grandparents. Um, however, family friends stated that both Eileen's grandparents were major alcoholics. Mm, that's uh, kind of out of the frying pan into the fire. I would agree. <laughs> you go from being abandoned by your mom, not knowing your dad, to living with alcoholic grandparents. I mean, it's not looking great for Eileen and Keith. No. All right, guys. By age 11, Eileen began to engage in sexual activities during school in exchange for cigarettes, drugs, and food. Very young, very bad things to be trading for sex. Mm -hmm. That's like an 11-year-old prostitute. And guys, I'm going to add in a small trigger warning here. Um, she had also began engaging in sexual relations, relations with her brother, Keith. Oh, goodness gracious. Um, watching a documentary, her friend was like, well, they didn't know any better. I mean, that's not an excuse. That's That's incest still, even if you don't know <laughs> any better. That's... Super icky, gross. That is majorly gross, guys. No offense. Yeah. Well, okay, yeah, offense. Yeah, <laughs> offense to anyone who is sleeping with their biological sibling. Let's, can, let's anyone who's let's sleeping with their family members. Any family member. Yeah, let's let's avoid that at all costs. Like I don't even know. Anyways, so Eileen herself had said at one point that her alcoholic grandfather had sexually assaulted her and beaten her when she was a child. Good. She also went on to say that before he beat her at any time, he would force her to strip out of her clothes. That's just heartbreaking. So I mean, like like Danny said, going from the skillet into the fire, or out yeah. of the skillet into the fire, this girl. She went, she went through some tough times. And uh, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that I feel bad for Eileen as Eileen, but I feel bad for Eileen the child for what you she know. That's what like, that's what Elena and Ash say a lot. Yeah, uh, we don't feel bad for older Eileen because she made her choices. Right. We feel bad for Eileen the child. Right. And for context, I the uh, Elena and Ash are the hosts of another true crime podcast that Chris and I are both fans of. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, and they they mentioned many times it's you feel bad. For, you know, Eileen the child, not Eileen the serial killer. Right. Know? All right, guys. At the age of 14, Eileen became pregnant. Does oh, that surprise anybody? So young. She stated that the father of her baby, and hold on tight, guys, was a friend of her grandfather's who had raped her. Goodness. Because she would also later state that her grandfather and his friends would take turns. That's just, I mean, that's just terrible. I... I can't imagine being the parent of someone who's gone through something like mm -mm. that. Um, Eileen gave birth to a baby boy on March 23rd, 1971. There is no information on this child, and I would suspect that this was a closed adoption. I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't doubt that they tried to hide the identity of that baby for its own safety. I mean, obviously, they can't predict what would happen with Eileen in the mm -hmm. future, but based on her past and the fact that she had to give it up for adoption, mm. I think that they were just trying to protect her identity. And then after what happens happened, mm -hmm. they definitely wanted to keep that a secret. Um, but actually, she gave birth to this baby in a home for unwed mothers, which was a huge thing back then, guys. Like, that was a major, major thing. Um, home for unwed mothers. Like, they would... Parents would secretly send their teenage daughters there for the full nine months right. and, you know, tell people. Because they, they didn't want people knowing that 
yeah, that their child had a child out of wedlock, and it's just messed up, I mm. think. I mean... So, the little boy was placed up for adoption, guys, okay? And just a few months after giving birth to the baby, Eileen dropped out of school. Um, Around the same time is when her grandmother ended up passing away from liver failure. Guys, from what I've read and heard, Eileen was super close to her grandmother. Even though her grandmother was an alcoholic, she had a really close relationship with her grandma. Um, And her grandmother almost... She said that her grandmother almost kind of protected her in a way, but after her grandmother passed away when um, when Eileen was 15, her grandfather ended up kicking her out of the house, and this is when Eileen began supporting herself as a prostitute and began living in the woods near her old home. Jeez. I just can't even imagine. That's honestly, like I said, it's it's just heartbreaking for for her, the child version of her, mm-hmm. you know, the the facts of how she grew up is just heartbreaking. Right. All right, guys, we're going to jump ahead a little bit. So on May 27th, 1974, at the age of 18, Eileen was arrested in Colorado. Hey, shout out to the hometown. For driving under the influence, disorderly conduct, and firing a twenty two caliber pistol from a moving vehicle. Less of a shout out than I wanted. For Colorado. <laughs> uh, she was later charged with failure to appear in court. I mean, that's kind of fair to be expected of mm-hmm. someone, you know, with her immaturity level. Right. Committing crimes like that. That's not surprising. Mm-hmm. In 1976, guys, Eileen hitchhiked to Florida. Um, from what I remember, between 1974 and 1976, she went back to Rochester, Michigan for a little bit. Um, not sure what she did while she was there, but I'm going to assume she was doing her prostitution and all that. Anyways, in 1976, Eileen hitchhiked to Florida, where she met 69-year-old Yacht Club president Louis Gratz Fell. They married quickly, and the announcements of the nuptials were printed in the local newspaper society pages, because, again, that was a big thing back then. Right. Um, within weeks of their marriage... Eileen attacked Fells with his own cane, which led him to filing a restraining order against her. Also, during the brief time that they were married, Eileen spent a short time in jail for assault as she involved herself in countless confrontations at the local bar. That can't, again, not surprised by that. After this, Eileen once more returned to Michigan, and on July 14th, 1976, she was arrested in Antrim County, and was charged with assault and disturbing the peace for throwing a cue ball at the bartender's head. So she's just becoming an extremely violent person by nature. Yeah. Like, the older she gets, guys, the more... Cuckoo? Coo- the more <laughs> the more hateful she gets towards people is what I've come to realize. Sure, the more crazy, the more violent, just the more everything she becomes. On July 17th, Eileen's brother Keith ended up passing away from esophageal cancer, and Eileen received $10,000 from his life insurance policy. That sounds like a rough way to go. It's very painful, I've heard. Um, Then on July 21st, after only nine weeks of marriage, Fels and Eileen had their marriage annulled. I wonder why it took him nine weeks. Yeah, again. (laughs) Nine weeks. If someone is going to hit me with my own cane... I'm not going to wait nine more weeks. No, you got to go. You can't. You can't give them two months. <laughs> Just be like, all right, you hit me with my cane. 
Yeah, you got two months. You got a couple months to get it together. And if at the end of that two months, we'll do another reevaluation <laughs> and we'll move on from there. Um, in August of that same year, Eileen was given a $105 fine for drunk driving. Wonderful. She did use some of that money from her brother's insurance money to pay that off and then used the rest within two months buying luxuries such as a new car, which she ended up wrecking shortly afterwards. Are we surprised? No, we're not. This is going to be a theme here where I keep asking you guys if you're surprised by how insane and violent and I feel like we should I feel like we should play a game with our listeners. Are you surprised? <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> how many times were you surprised by things in this episode? Guys, let's play a game of how many times can you count uh how many times is Eileen arrested? Oh, that'd be a fun game. That I counted. Ooh, I got it better. Okay. Drinking game. Every time she gets arrested, take you a guys shot. have to take a shot. Take a shot. Wait, don't do that if you're driving. Definitely don't do that if you're <laughs> driving. Don't do that if you're planning on doing anything for the next twelve hours. Um, on May tenth, nineteen eighty one, Eileen was once again arrested, but this time in Edgewater, Florida, for armed robbery of a convenience store. Okay, where she stole thirty five dollars and two packs of cigarettes. She was sentenced to prison on May fourth, nineteen eighty two. And was released from prison on June 20th, 1983. So she spent a little over a year in jail. She had a comfortable stay this time. Mm, yeah, she wasn't just in and out. She stayed for a, a little bit. She stayed for a good time, not a long yeah. time. <laughs> on, on May 1st, 1984, Eileen was once again arrested. Take so, a shot. Guys, so Take she literally, within a, 11 months, okay, she spent 11 months free out of prison. Right. And then was arrested again. But this time she was arrested for attempting to pass forged checks at a bank in Key West, Florida. On November 20th, or I'm sorry guys, on November 10th, 1985, she was named a suspect in the theft of a revolver and ammunition in Pasco County. I'm not even going to ask. <laughs> on January 4th, 1986, so there's been a little bit of time passed by, not much, but a little bit, Eileen was yet again arrested. But this time she was arrested in Miami. And this time was charged with car theft, resisting arrest, and obstruction of justice for providing identification bearing her aunt's name. Miami police found a 38 caliber revolver and a box of ammunition in the stolen car. Guys, does that go back? <laughs> I bet you guys are like, oh, huh. So she was named a suspect and they found that revolver in the ammunition. Yeah, I... Are you guys surprised? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> On June 2nd, 1986, Volusia County Deputy Sheriffs detained Eileen for questioning after a male companion accused her of pulling a gun on him while in his car and demanding $200. That's so Eileen. Eileen was found to be carrying spare ammunition and police discovered a 22 pistol under the passenger seat where she had been sitting. Guys, are you surprised yet? <laughs> Um, it was at this time that Eileen met Tyria Moore, a hotel maid at a Daytona Beach lesbian bar. Classy. They quickly decided to move in together, and Eileen supported them with her earnings as a prostitute. Again, very classy. Mm -hmm. Two very classy women. On July 4th, 1987, Daytona Beach police detained Eileen and Ty Tyria at a bar for questioning regarding an incident in which they were accused of assault and battery with a beer bottle. Mm, okay. So now she's bringing Tyria into this. On March 2nd, 1988, 
Eileen accused a Daytona Beach bus driver of assault. She claimed that he pushed her off the bus following a confrontation. Tyria was listed as a witness to this incident. And here's a fun fact, guys. Up until the day she was executed, Eileen claimed that she was still very much in love with Tyria. Okay. And I am questioning, I don't know why she would, because you'll see why when we get into the um, investigation and all that. All right, guys, we're going to get into the murders now. Are you excited? Oh, I'm super excited to get into this. All right, guys, Eileen murdered seven men within a period of 12 months. All right, we are jumping right into this. We are. Let's go. Uh, The first victim was Richard Charles Mallory, aged 51. He was an electronics store owner who was murdered on November 20th, 1989. He was also a convicted rapist whom Eileen claimed to have killed in self-defense. She also claimed that she was sodomized and brutally beaten after being driven to an abandoned area for sexual requests. Two days later, a Volusia County deputy sheriff found Mallory's abandoned vehicle, and then on December 13th, about three weeks later, his body was found several miles away in a wooded area. He had been shot several times, and two bullets to the left lung were found to have been the cause of death. Goodness gracious. Mm-hmm. What a rough way to go. I mean, he sounds like a piece of shit, but like, what a rough way to go. Yeah. The second victim was David Andrew Spears, aged 47, a construction worker in Winter Garden. All right. Shout out to the construction workers. We got to stick together. <laughs> he was declared missing as of May 19th, 1990. On June 1st, 1990, his naked body was found along U.S. Route 19 in Citrus County, Florida. He had been shot six times by a twenty-two pistol. Goodness. The third victim was Charles Edmund, and I do apologize, Carskadon, aged 40. He was a part-time rodeo worker who was murdered on May 31st, 1990. On June 6, 1990, his body was found in Pasco County. He had been shot nine times with a twenty caliber weapon. The body had been wrapped in an electric blanket and was badly decomposing when found. Witnesses saw Eileen in possession of Karskadon's car, and Eileen had also pawned a gun identified as belonging to him. That's just insane. I mean, (laughs) stole his gun, stole his car. Wrapped him in an electric blanket, let's not forget that. Shot him nine times, let's Mm -hmm. not forget that. I mean, yeah. Okay, do you guys hate her yet? Do you believe us when we say she's fucking crazy? Eileen I mean, I don't, I don't hate her. I just believe she truly is crazy. Yeah. I mean, I don't love the fact she killed seven guys. So, I hate that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the fourth victim, guys, was Peter Abraham Seams, aged 65. He was a retired merchant seaman. In June of 1990, Seams left Jupiter, Florida for Arkansas. On July 4th, 1990, his car was found in Orange Springs, Florida. Tyria and Eileen were seen abandoning the car, and Eileen's palm print was found on the interior door handle, but, guys, his body was never found. It makes me wonder what they did with the body after the fact. I don't know. <laughs> this, was, this was one, we'll get into this later, but yeah, she was never charged with this one. Yeah, I just it makes me wonder what happened to his body. Uh, the fifth victim, guys, was Troy Eugene Burris, 
aged 50. He was a sausage salesman from Ocala, Florida. That's not a real thing. That can't be a real thing. That is a real thing. Sausage salesman. That is a real thing. Are you sure he didn't also work in prostitution? Um, <laughs> from what I gathered, no. Moving on. Uh, on July 21st, 1990, he was reported missing. On August 4th, 1990, his body was found in a wooded area along State Road 19 in Marion County. He had also been shot twice. The sixth victim was Richard, or I'm sorry, Charles Richard Humphreys, aged 56. Guys, not only was he a retired U.S. Air Force major, he was a former state child abuse investigator and a former chief of police. Jeez, I, part of me wonders if she like sought him out because he's a uh, child abuse investigator. And you know, I had to wonder that too. Yeah, she was abused as a kid. And so it makes me wonder if she kind of targeted him, maybe. But um, that's awful. Um, he was killed on September 11th, 1990. On September 12th, 1990, so just a day later, his body was found in Marion County. He was fully clothed and had been shot six times in the head and the torso. Talk about overkill. His car was found in Suwannee County. The seventh and final victim, guys, was Walter Gino Antonio, aged 62. He was a trucker, a security guard, and a police reservist. On November 19, 1990, Antonio's nearly naked body was found near a remote logging road in Dixie County. He had been shot four times. Five days later, his car was found in Brevard County. Jeez. So, guys, she kind of went to town on some of these guys. Yeah, and it seems like just a total whirlwind because what her first murder was in late twenty. Or I'm sorry, in late November of 1989, and her last one was November of 1990. So, so seven guys in, in twelve months. Yeah, in one year. That's just an, that's a whirlwind. She of crime. was just on a roll. All right, guys. On July fourth, nineteen ninety. Eileen and Tyria abandoned Sim's car after they were involved in a car accident with this car. Witnesses who had seen the women driving the victim's car provided police with their names and description. Guys, this actually turned out to be Eileen and Tyria's old landlords from when they had been staying in an RV park. Dang, that's crazy. And it's funny because I saw this on a documentary that I was watching. Um, the husband had been reading the newspaper and had seen the sketches that the police have done right. of, you know, the two women driving the car. And his wife was like, oh, don't they look familiar to you? <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, huh, they do. Interesting. And so that's how they found out. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, this resulted in a media campaign to locate them. Police also found some of the victim's belongings in pawn shops and retrieved fingerprints matching those found in Seam's car. Eileen had a criminal record at this point, so her fingerprints were already on file with the police. Right. On Ju January 9th, 1991, Eileen was arrested on an outstanding warrant at the Last Resort, a biker bar in Volusia, Volusia County. It was at this time that Tyria and Eileen had broken up Basically, Terrier was like, you can't support us anymore. I'm gone. Deuces. Oh, I mean, we can't blame her. 
Can we? I mean, that that's the... She murdered seven people. That wasn't even the reason. I know. Dude, it was because, like, was money because money was running out. Finance issues. Yeah. But still, you got out because she's a psychopathic serial killer, so... Uh, Good on you, Tyria. So, police located Tyria back in Scranton, Pennsylvania. It was here that Tyria agreed to elicit a confession from Eileen in exchange for immunity from the prosecution. Smart. Very smart. Mm -hmm. So, with that, Tyria returned to Florida with police, where she was put up in a motel. Under police guidance, she made numerous phone calls to Eileen, pleading for her to help her clear her name in the murders. And guys, I mean, good for her, but I kind of feel like Tyria used Eileen's love for her. I guess I just feel like that, you know, kind of like, hey, I know you still love me. Right. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I don't mind Tyria using that against Eileen if it means that we caught her Mm -hmm. because I would rather her feelings get used in order to put a serial killer in jail. And I don't really feel bad about that. Um, I don't know. I feel like, I mean, Tyria didn't get anything, guys. Like, Tyria got nothing. But here's the thing, Danny, is that she was... I mean, I don't know how involved Tyria was. I was going to say, did she actually assist in these murders? I don't know. It, there's no... The trail goes cold with that. Right. So, so I, mean, I mean... If she did, then she definitely got off without what she deserved. But at the same time, a lot of this was... Eileen's doing and Eileen got caught and so I mean I can't be too mad about it Uh, okay so with that guys on January 16th 1991 um, Eileen confessed to the murders she claimed that all the men had tried to rape her and she killed them in self-defense I don't believe that a year later on January 14th 1992 Eileen went to trial for the murder of Mallory the first victim Although previous convictions are normally inadmissible in criminal cases, which they normally are, uh, under Florida's Williams rule, the prosecution was allowed to introduce evidence related to her other crimes to show a pattern of illegal activity. Right, yeah, I mean, that makes sense. Usually bringing up anything from the past isn't allowed like like that, but if it's showing a pattern, a lot of times, I feel like a lot of states have some kind of rule in order that will allow you to bring up certain aspects of previous cases if it helps prove some type of pattern or motive for the crime at hand. Mm. On January 27th, 1992, Eileen was convicted of Mallory's murder with the help of Tyria's testimony. At her sentencing, psychiatrists for the defense testified that Eileen was mentally unstable and had been diagnosed with borderline personality disorder and antisocial personality disorder. Jeez. Four days later, she was sentenced to death, guys. Um, on March 31st, 1992, so not even two months later, um, Eileen pleaded no contest to the murders of Humphreys, Burris, and Spears, saying that she wanted to, quote, get right with God. You killed seven people, Eileen. I don't... I mean... Don't a lot of inmates say that when they're on trial or some, at some point in prison? I think they say that. A lot, yeah. There's a lot of uh, criminals who will try to claim religion, but I just think that it's kind of a cop-out. I think it's kind of something that they use to try to like prolong the inevitable with whatever is going on with them, whatever crime they did commit. I feel like they're just trying to prolong it. 
And so I, I don't think, <laughs> I don't think Eileen was really trying to get right with anyone. She, I mean, she had a history of criminal activity since she was 18 years old. So I don't really believe that she was actually trying to get right with whatever God she believes in. Now, Danny's not saying, guys, that there, I mean, there's prisoners out there that do find religion. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's, I know people personally who've been locked up who found God in prison and came out and lived a completely reformed life. I'm not saying that that's impossible. I just don't think that's the case uh, for Eileen. Not even close. No. In her testament to the courts, she said, quote, I wanted to confess to you that Richard Mallory did violently rape me, as I've told you, but these others did not. They only began to. What's the difference between actually raping you and starting to rape you? Um, I mean, they're sexual assault. I mean, maybe, mm-hmm. yeah, but I don't know. I'm like, if he actually began the act of raping you, it's still rape. Yeah. I, I mean, that, that maybe that's just me. I, I agree. I feel like I, I, mean, I need more information before right. I give you an official stance. On May 15th, 1992, Eileen was given three more death sentences. That's a long time. A lot of death. In June of 1992, Eileen pleaded guilty to the murder of Karskadon. In November of 1992, she received her fifth death sentence. That is fairly quick for them to put all of that together for her to get another life sentence. From yep. June to November, that is a very quick court proceeding. That's 90, That's five months? Yeah. I mean, that's pretty That's pretty nuts. They had to have some kind of something. Yeah, that's nuts. Uh, guys... What I'm about to talk to you is her the retrial, so or an appeal. So I, I'm going to talk to you about that. Um, during her appeal, or you know, her plea to the judge, um, her defense made efforts during that trial to introduce evidence that Mallory had been tried for intent to commit rape in Maryland, and that he had been committed to a maximum security facility that provided remediation to sexual offenders. Uh, records obtained from that institution did reflect that from 1958 to 1962, Mallory was committed for treatment and observation resulting from a criminal charge of assault with intent to rape and received an overall eight years of treatment from the facility. In 1961, it was observed of Mr. Mallory that he possessed strong sociopathic uh, trends. But guys, the judge refused to allow this to be admitted to court as evidence and denied Eileen's request for a retrial. I mean, that's fair. I I feel like what she did was still so gruesome and so wrong that she doesn't really deserve a retrial. I mean... And she's already received five death sentences. So even, guys, she's even gonna, if she, even if they're like, yeah, we'll do a retrial... Right, exactly. She's still going to be sentenced to death because mm-hmm. she already had... Even if one of the five death sentences gets overturned, she has four death sentences. She's not, not going to survive the first one, so... Um, in November... Or, I'm sorry, in February of 1983... Eileen pleaded guilty to the murder of Antonio and again was sentenced to death. No charges were brought against her for the murder of Siems as his body was never found. So altogether, guys, Eileen received six death sentences. That's a big oof. That's a huge oof. Yeah, that's rough. Oof. Eileen told several inconsistent stories about the killings. Uh, She initially claimed that all seven men had raped her while she was working as a prostitute, but later recanted the claim of self-defense, citing robbery and 
and a desire to leave no witnesses as the reason for murder. I mean, that seems like a big escalation. A desire to leave no witnesses. Yeah, you go from self-defense to, oh, I was robbing them and I didn't want them to know. Yeah, I didn't want there to be any witnesses so that they could have evidence to lock me up. Right. Uh, During an interview with filmmaker Nick Broomfield, when she thought the cameras were off, she told him that it was in fact self-defense, but could not stand being on death row, where she had been for 10 years at the time of the interview, and that she just, quote, wanted to die. I mean, that's kind of a selfish feeling because you took the lives of seven other people and tried to claim that you did that in self-defense and now you're just like, I don't want to be sitting here on death row anymore. I just want to get it over with. Right. I don't even have words. I just, yeah, I feel like it's a very selfish thing for you to wish that upon yourself when you didn't give that option to the seven men you killed. Nope, especially if you shot them six to nine times. Yeah, I think that you are a gross person. All right, guys. Um, So Eileen was assessed using a psychopathy checklist. Um, She scored a 32 out of 40, okay? And I'll break this down for you guys. This checklist evaluates individuals on a 20-item list of antisocial and interpersonal behaviors, with each item being scored at 0, 1, or 2, and thus a max score of 40. Depending on the location and research, perspective scores above 25 or 30 are consistent with a diagnosis of psychopathy. All right, guys, we're going to talk about her execution here now. So Eileen was incarcerated at the Florida Department of Corrections, Broward Correctional Institution, BCI Death Row for Women, then transferred to the Florida State Prison for her execution. Her appeal to the U.S. Supreme Court was denied in 1996, and in a 2001 petition for the Florida Supreme Court, she stated her intention to dismiss her legal counsel and terminate all pending appeals. Um, She Stated in this letter, quote, I killed those men. She continued by saying, I robbed them as cold as ice and I do it again too. There's no chance in keeping me alive or anything because I'd kill again. I have hate crawling through my system. I am so sick of hearing this she's crazy stuff. I have been evaluated so many times. I am competent, sane, and I am trying to tell the truth. I am one who seriously hates human life and would kill again. Yeah, she's crazy. (laughs) I know she just said she doesn't like being called crazy, but she's crazy. You know what's interesting? She's sitting here claiming sanity, claiming that she is of sound mind and was like, yeah, I I hate the human life. I'd kill again. Kill me. I want to be done with it. Just kill me because I killed those guys and I'm of sound mind as I admit this to you. Just go ahead and get it over with. Um, you know, what's funny is, is that, and this is in fact, in many cases I've read Danny, mm-hmm. that most serial killers, Ted Bundy, um, Richard Ramirez, and Eileen Warnoff Snow, they all hated being called crazy. All, I believe all three of them even said, no, I am completely sane. I know what I was doing. Yeah. It's an ego thing. So that's what I think. At least I think it's an ego thing. That's why no, they- I don't. 
Do I think Richard Ramirez was crazy? Oh, yes. Do yeah. I think Ted Bundy was? I don't know if Ted Bundy was necessarily crazy. He was actually very intelligent. Oh, he was. And that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't know that Eileen is necessarily crazy, but I think all of these serial killers who like to claim that they are of perfect sound mind and everything like that, and that they did what they wanted to do in killing these people, I think that's an ego thing. They don't want anyone like they don't want the media they don't want the public to believe that there was anything wrong with them because mm-hmm. i feel like they think that takes away from the credit that they were after by killing these people that's my mm-hmm. thought i agree with that although guys um eileen was diagnosed and i did say this earlier with borderline personality disorder and anti Anso- yeah antisocial disorder mm-hmm. yeah um so guys while her attorney's argued that she was not mentally competent to make such a request. Eileen insisted that she knew what she was doing, and a panel of court-appointed psychiatrists agreed with her. Can I just say something? Always. Um, so she gets diagnosed by the defense, right, with... Yeah, with these two mental disabilities. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then a panel of court-appointed psychiatrists say... Yeah, no, no, you're good. She has her right to request that. Well, of course. I mean, I believe that, you know, they do have their right to dismiss their attorneys or their legal counsel. Yeah, of course. I mean, they have the right to defend themselves if they choose to. They have the right to, I mean, technically, they should have the right to request anything. Right. Whether or not it's approved is up to the court system. But yeah, yeah, it is pretty crazy that even after being accurately diagnosed by psychiatrists, more psychiatrists that were appointed by the court basically agreed to allow her to make a request. Y'all are stupid. No. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously not. They're no, psychiatrists. I, I, they are psychiatrists. They have a degree that I do not. Yeah, they know something about I the just, human mind that we don't. I just, I got to scratch my head and wondered, like, did they go over her case before they let her do this? Or did they just say, yeah, we believe you're sane enough to, you know, didn't terminate your legal counsel in 2002 guys eileen began accusing prison matrons of tainting her food with dirt saliva and urine in this short little thing i'm going to talk about guys you're going to see why i believe that she just went off the deep end yeah (laughs) she said that she had overheard conversations conversations among prison and personnel trying to get me so pushed over the brink that i wind up committing suicide before i was executed and wishing to rape me before the execution. Guys, she has a thing about people wanting to rape her. Yeah, that's... I mean, I'm not saying that it didn't actually happen to her in her childhood. No. And so, like, I, I don't want to say that it didn't happen, that she wasn't traumatized by that exact act happening to her. But she also murdered seven men, and we don't know that they actually ever did anything to her. And so... The amount of time she brings it up almost, she kind of sounds like the girl who cried rape. Well, I truly believe that Richard Mallory did. I, I think that was the one and only that did, if it actually right. did happen. Sure, and there's six other men who she murdered, so it, but, doesn't, it doesn't make up for no, it. But, no, 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 no. But at the same time, the amount of time she brings it up, it makes you not want to believe her every time she says it. All right, guys. Um, she also complained of strip searches, which... You're in prison. You are going to be strip searched if you're in prison. If you don't want to be strip searched, Uh, don't do a crime worth going to prison for. Honestly, Danny, the only reason I... And it could have been different back then, okay? 
Um, yes, I mean, it, they could have been like harassing her, but um, according to people I know, strip searches are usually only for when they believe that there's something to be like. There's something to find. Yeah, like contraband or something. Right. Um, she also complained of tight handcuffing. Guys, when you're handcuffed, it's going to be tight. They're trying to prevent you from escaping. I mean, I understand too tight, but it's going to be tight. Yeah, I I don't feel bad for you, Eileen. Um, I hope your wrists are always chafed. She complained of door kicking. Guys, I, I don't know if she's saying this against the guards of the prison. Or- is, uh, I wish y'all could see how confused my face looks right now. I know <laughs> you can't, but I wish you could because... He looks so confused. I can tell you guys Door right kicking. Now. Oh, no. Poor you, Eileen. Your door got kicked a little. Here's where, um, here's where I scratch my head because she complains about frequent window checks. You're in prison. If you guys don't know this, I will tell you this. Girl, bye. Um, my husband works as an overnight corrections officer. He has to, when he's working a cell house, he has to do it at least three times when he's working, at least. And that's because they're making sure that you're breathing. Um, nighttime is a is a really good time for inmates to commit suicide, unfortunately. Right. Because they everyone's have more asleep. Privacy. Right. Yeah. So they do freak window checks a little bit more at night. But come on, Eileen. They're making sure you're breathing. Yeah, they're making sure you're not killing yourself. Right. Um, she also complained of low water pressure. Boo fucking who, Eileen? I gotta. I, w- I want to actually fact check this because I want to see what low water pressure is. Yeah, I don't feel bad for you at all. Like, you're lucky that you even get a shower. Um, Mildew on her pillow. It's probably because you're a gross person. Y'all, if... Now, let me backtrack just a little bit. Eileen was very good looking when she was younger, okay? Sure. She was, she was a good looking younger woman. But guys, when she got older... Started looking like she was struggling a little. Okay, I don't know if you guys have seen the movie Monster with Charlize Theron and Christina Ricci. Yeah. But guys, Charlize Theron looks pretty damn close to how <laughs> she did a great- Eileen Warnos looked in her older age. Yeah, did a pretty good job at uh, showing how awful Eileen looked by the end of it all. Like, I watched it a while ago and I was like, oh, woof. <laughs> that's a big oof that's a big oof <laughs> um and lastly guys she complained of cat calling in distaste and a pure hatred towards me how do you cat call in a pure hatred towards somebody can i ask you that cat calling with hatred behind it is that distaste like and pure hatred distaste and pure hatred yes but cat calling like cat calling with pure hatred and distaste it's like it sounds like polite Tourette's, you know? It's like it's a, it's an oxymoron a little bit. Polite Tourette's. <laughs> you just scream compliments at people? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, Eileen threatened to boycott showers and meals when certain officers were on duty. I've heard of this actually happening. Um, you know, prisoners think that they can just get away with it. And guys, can I let you in on a secret? Corrections officers don't care. No, and that that's not meant to be a bad thing, okay? I'm not saying they don't care, but that's your choice to not take the meal. Yeah. They can't force you. Yeah, no, I mean, Bundy 
went on like a hunger strike while he was in jail. I think Manson did too. I, yeah, I think he did too. But Bundy, I think, went on multiple. Yeah. And guys, again, I'm not saying they don't care in like the worst way possible. Right. Not. They just, they can't do anything to force you to eat. Yeah, they can't force feed you. Like, it's it's up to you whether or not you want to eat or not. So it's not it's not the guard's fault that you are deciding to boycott showers and meals. Right. So she says, I quote, In the meantime, my stomach's growling away and I am taking showers through the sink of my cell. That's because you're refusing to eat and shower. Yep. You did this to yourself, Eileen. Yep. Not to mention that you did something that put you in prison, so you really did this to yourself. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, her attorney stated that Miss Warnus really just wants to have proper treatment, humane treatment, until the day she's executed. You don't deserve to be treated like a human because you didn't treat those seven men like humans. You murdered them. I mean, guys, proper treatment in jail is three hots in a cot. It's true. They give you three meals. They give you a cot to sleep on. I mean, you're allowed out to shower, and you are allowed out for rec time. Sometimes. Sometimes. Yeah, some prisoners that are worse than others don't even get that. Nope. Like Chris Watts, he gets let out for one hour a day to shower and exercise, and that's it. He eats in his cell every hour of every day other than his shower and his exercise is in his cell. But yeah, if you're in Gen general population you get gen pop you get the wreck time right yeah but you're sitting on death row which is pretty much like max right yeah i feel like you have zero room to complain about your living situation when again you put yourself there Mm -hmm. don't murder seven people if you don't want to be treated like a prisoner guess what if you murder seven people you're going to go to prison you're going to be treated like a prisoner right her lawyer also added she, quote, believes what she has written. Does what this does that guy even mean? She believes what she's... I'm going to assume that the attorney um, saw something completely different than what she was writing. Yeah, I don't... Because he's saying she believes what she's written, not we believe. Right. I think they're starting to see that Eileen might be trying to lose it a little bit. Just a little in, bit. Just a little bit. While she's sitting here in prison, she might be losing it. Um, all right, guys. In the weeks before her execution, Eileen gave a series of interviews to Broomfield. She did quite a few interviews with him, and I've sat down and watched a few of them. And, whew, guys, I you want to see crazy. Ooh. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. Just oof. Just oof. Anyways, she gave a series to him and talked about being taken away to meet God and Jesus and the angels and whatever is beyond the beyond. Beyond the beyond. That is what she said. Very deep. That is profound deep. Yes. We are being so sarcastic. (laughs) (laughs) If you can't tell that we're being sarcastic, then uh, you need to get yourself checked out. Bye. No. (laughs) Um, In her final interview, she once again charged that her mind was tortured at BCI. So, again, that was the prison that she was at before she was transferred. Right. And her head was crushed by sonic pressure. Um, no. It wasn't, Eileen. I I can pretty much promise you that it wasn't crushed by sonic pressure. So sonic pressure, food poisonings, and other abuses worsened, she said, each time she complained, with the goal of making her look insane or to actually drive her to become insane. So crushing her head with sonic pressure 
poisoning her food and other abuse was the prison's attempt to make her insane. Yep. As if she didn't do a good enough job by herself already. Yep. Got it. Okay. Got Just it. wanted to make sure okay. we were all at the same place. Are we we're, on the same page? I think we are, yeah. Okay. I, I think we're tracking. I okay, cool. Good. We can go on. <laughs> she also told the interviewer, you sabotaged my ass, society and the cops and the system. A raped woman got executed and was used for books and movies and shit. Her final words on camera were, Thanks a lot, society, for railroading my ass. Poor choice of words, Eileen. So she's blaming society for how she turned out, guys. I have nothing to say to that. I have zero response for you, Eileen. You deserve nothing. So Don Botkins, a childhood friend of Eileen's, later told Broomfield that her verbal abuse was directed at society and the media in general, not at him specifically. I just have questions about her mental state at that point. I yeah, I think at this point she's she's gone. It. She's lost it. She's she's done, guys. She just took that final plunge. Yeah. Although I don't know, because wait until I read you guys her final words before oh, she was executed. Oh, let's dive in. Um, Eileen's execution took place on October 9th, two thousand two. She was executed by lethal injection. Nice. Mm-hmm. She declined her last meal, which could have been anything under $20, and opted for a cup of coffee instead. Mm, sticking with that boycott, I see. Mm-hmm. Her last words ever were, yes, I would like to say that I am sailing away with the rock, and I'll be back. Independence Day with Jesus, just like the movie. Big mothership and all. I'll be back. I'll be back. I mean, so... She's sailing away with Dwayne the Rock Johnson. <laughs> you and, know, I was. And she's I was, coming back like the Terminator. I'll be back. <laughs> I honestly, when I wrote this out, Danny, I was kind of wondering if it was like. What does she mean by that? I'm sailing away with the Rock and I'll be back Independence Day with Jesus. Just like the movie, Big Mother Ship and all. I'll be back. So, guys, if we experience an Independence Day scenario. We get to go meet Eileen Warnos. Sweet. And she's going to be sitting there with Jesus with Jesus and Dwayne the Rock Johnson and Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> uh, she, Eileen Warnos, died at 9.47 a.m. that day. What an odd time. It's very specific. It's very specific. <laughs> and you, okay, so. I'm going to talk a little bit, just because I think we have a few more minutes, just to kind of Oh, yeah. Talk this is our bit. podcast. We can do whatever we want. So, I was watching a documentary, okay? But it was more like a Ghost Hunters episode. Basically, so, they went to the last resort biker bar where, you know, she was apprehended. Right. And they pretty much, like, tried to do a seance. Okay. Now, guys, don't get me wrong, Okay. Do I believe in that stuff? Like, do I think seances really work? No. Do I think you can mess with things and bring them out? Yes. Yeah, I mean, regardless of what I believe or don't believe as far as all that goes, why is she someone you're going to try to communicate with and or bring back, quote unquote? Well, apparently they wanted to have a discussion with her. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know why you had... What, 10, 11 years that she was in prison before her execution? Just talk to mm -hmm. her then. And then when she's gone, she doesn't deserve anything else. Um, so they were 
talking to, I don't know if he was the owner or just a bartender that happened to work there when she um, frequented the bar. Um, but um, he said, you know, that he looked at the clock at 947, or he had the news on at 947 when she was executed. Right. He literally said at 10 o'clock, uh, silverware started flying off of the shelves. Did it, though? Did it really? And he was like, I knew it. She said she'd be back. She's back. <laughs> I don't think I believe you. So I good. was like, oh, okay. <laughs> Guys, we're not trying to make fun of mental health, okay? No, it's a very serious thing. Yeah, absolutely. I just don't. Do we believe that Eileen Warners was sick? Yes. Yeah, I, I mean, she was diagnosed with two different disorders. I don't believe that she was not mentally ill, but I don't know that I believe that that's an excuse. No. I don't believe that I am okay with that being an excuse for murder. No, absolutely not. I don't think there's any excuse for murder. I agree. Um, but I also don't think that she was treated properly via like doctors even if she was in prison okay yeah but at, by the time she got to prison she had already murdered seven people so there's not i mean how much can we really do i mean she lived her prison life she didn't like her prison life no. but prison life isn't cushy for anyone so well i'm not saying like treated properly in prison no i know I'm you're talking about her mental health by doctors right. and stuff. and i get that like they could have given her medication and stuff yes but but she probably would have refused it she, knowing... Yeah, she was refusing to shower. She was refusing to eat. She, she said that she was completely 100% mentally competent and sane. And she claimed that everything she did was in self-defense for a period and then kind of recanted that. <laughs> yeah, she recanted a lot, guys. So I I don't know. I don't know that there was really anything that could have been done. I think she was too far gone a it's, long, it's long very time ago. sad. Yeah, it is very sad because it makes you wonder if the tragedies that she went through while growing up is what caused her to become someone like this. And that's, again, that's not saying that people who go through things like this as a child, they're automatically going to grow up to be some no. kind of serial killer. That's not what I'm saying. But it does make you wonder how much of her childhood played into affecting her mental health mm -hmm. and causing her to go down a path like she did. And I don't think, I mean, after her grandma died, she really had no one to be in her corner. Right. I mean, her, her grandma passed and her grandfather kicked her out. And then shortly after that, her brother died. And so she didn't really have any family. The only real person she was close with was her girlfriend. And she ended up leaving when they started having financial issues. So mm -hmm. all she really ever knew was abandonment. And so I think that definitely has the potential to have played into some of her mental health issues. Absolutely. But I don't know that, I mean, none of that makes what she did okay. Mm -mm. And I don't think it makes it excusable in any way either. No, guys. Well, I think we're going to wrap this up here. Yeah, that was the case of Eileen Warnos for you guys. I hope you enjoyed or I hope you didn't enjoy it, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I don't enjoy murder. I hope y'all don't enjoy murder. I don't enjoy murder per se. But I enjoy covering it if it's already happened. Can I say that? Yeah. Can I, I get mean, away with saying that? Is that uh, okay? Don't at me. I'm going to at you. <laughs> at no, okay. Me. Hey, um, at me if you want. Follow us. <laughs> 
Oh, that reminds me. We do have a Facebook that we got put together for yes, you guys. Yes, guys. Uh, we put together the Serial Knowledge Podcast Facebook page and mm-hmm. Facebook group. So the Facebook page is one that you can kind of just be a fan of, see... Uh, all the information of our episodes. We'll post links um, to our episodes on our Facebook page and stuff like that. But the Facebook group is what we are going to use to interact with all of you guys. So we are going to have posts on there. We want to hear your comments. You can even, if you want, you can try to get us suggestions through there. But the easiest way to do that is going to be through email. But definitely go check out our Facebook page and group. The Facebook page URL, if you just go to facebook.com slash serial knowledge pod, you will find us right there. Uh, give us a like, find our group page. Um, uh, you basically have to request to join our group, but we're going to accept pretty much everybody. Oh, just yeah. Don't be a jerk on the page or else we'll kick you guys off. But yep. We just want it to be a cool place, a community for everyone to kind of get together, be able to talk to each other and just kind of hang out and discuss the cases. And guys, we'll post a uh, little snippets of like, Kate, like info about the case. Yeah, we can post little blips about the case, so you guys can talk about. I mean, I'll I can post because I've actually found a map of where the bodies in this case were buried and where the cars. It, it's fast. I really wish that I could show you guys, and I will. Yeah, yeah we definitely want to keep uh, like as much information up on these uh, different platforms for you guys to interact with us as much as possible. So we want you guys to join in on the Facebook group. We're going to be posting things on there so that we can interact with you more. And like we mentioned before, we also definitely want you guys to email us, uh, like send us case suggestions or your own stories, uh, kind of whatever you guys want. Send us feedback. We want to hear from you guys. We're going to be checking that email and uh, replying as much as we can. Yeah. Uh, if we get any interesting stories from you guys, we'll definitely try to read them. We might try to make maybe an episode. If we don't get too many stories all at once, maybe we can even try to put little stories in at the end or something like that. We'll let you know kind of what we're thinking for that. But if you do want to reach out to us at all, you can hit us up at our email, which is going to be serialknowledgepod at gmail.com. So send us anything that you guys want to send us to that, and we will do our best to respond as quickly as we can to keep up with you guys. Oh, obviously we can't forget, next week we are going to be in... Connecticut. Connecticut. Oh, this one is interesting. This one's very interesting. A little I lesser, don't know. A little lesser known. So good luck guessing it, but we wanted to at least let you know the state because that's what we do here. We give you the state. You guys got to guess. Let's see if you can figure it out. Hit us up on the email. Again, serialknowledgepod at gmail.com. Send us your guesses. We are going to be in Connecticut next week. Uh, Good luck. And until next time, knowledgers, have a good one. Bye. Bye. Bye.